0: The scripture reading this morning comes to us from the Prophecy of Amos, chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake, when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. He was preparing swarms of locusts after the king's share had been harvested, and just as the late crops were coming up. When they had stripped the land clean, I cried out, Sovereign Lord, forgive. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen the Lord said. This is what the Sovereign Lord showed me. The Sovereign Lord was calling for judgment by fire. It dried up the great deep and devoured the land. Then I cried out, Sovereign Lord, I beg you, stop. How can Jacob survive? He is so small. So the Lord relented. This will not happen either, the Sovereign Lord said. This is what he showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God.
1: Thank you, Dave. Let's pray, shall we? Father, as we consider your word, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon us and help us, help us to listen to you, help us to hear you. And help me as I speak. And we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. So we're uh, starting a new series for Lent today called Let Justice Roll Down. You can see that. And it, of course, is a, a series in the book of Amos. And that's right, the book of Amos, right? One of, the, one of the 12 minor prophets. But come on, you know Amos, don't you? Here he is. I mean, you know him, He's famous. Famous Amos. You know this guy well. Okay, it's not that Amos. Our Amos is not quite so famous. And in fact, uh, by those to whom he preached, he was considered more infamous, or pronounced correctly, infamous, which means being well known for something bad, right? Not well known for something good. But when you take a closer look, Uh, we realized that it really wasn't about Amos. It wasn't that he had done something bad or or had particularly bad qualities. It's, It's just that Amos was called by God to deliver a challenging and convicting message of truth to God's people who were failing miserably at their calling to be a community of justice in the world. And then... Along with the truth-telling, God asked Amos to deliver to the Israelites the promise of judgment upon their injustice and their spiritual waywardness. It wasn't a popular message then, as, as you heard in the, in the scripture. They wanted him to stop talking, to stop prophesying. It wasn't a popular message back then. And to be honest, it's not a popular message now. James Montgomery Boyce preached a sermon on the same passage we read today, and that sermon starts with these lines. The book of Amos is one of the most readable, relevant, and moving portions of the word of God, but in much of church history, until very recently, little or no attention has been paid to it. Why? It is because the book speaks powerfully against social injustices and religious formalism, and many who would otherwise read the book have been implicated in such sins and are condemned by it. Ouch. The church's neglect of Amos might be understandable if we lived in a world of little injustice, little poverty, and little misuse of wealth, or even if we lived in a world in which the conditions Amos speaks of were recognized, but were gradually being righted. But of course, we know that the world is full of injustice and poverty and the misuse of wealth, and it's not getting better. I mean, despite the humanists' most fervent hopes, there is no gradual social improvement over time. Human beings are sinful and broken, and all of creation was ravaged by the fall and is subject to decay, not improvement. And the messages of justice and mercy and worship and spirit and truth are just as relevant today as they were back then. In the church and in our hearts, this Amos needs to become more famous. So we'll take a swing at that, right? Here's where we're going in the series today. The prophet no one wanted, the kind of backstory on the situation Amos was confronting and a little bit about the, the prophet himself. Next week, the foundation of justice, the, the theological cornerstones of biblical justice, the community of justice gone wrong. That was a big part of the story of Amos, what he was confronting. The first step toward justice. Amos lays that out very clearly. The symptoms of injustice. He speaks directly to the community of faith about those. And the promise of justice. Justice a future day when all things will be made right and will be as they are supposed to be. Now, to understand the message of Amos, we we do need to understand some of the backstory and and a little about Amos himself. And the first verse uh, helps us place the book of Amos on the timeline of history. Here it is again. The words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa, the vision he saw concerning Israel two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. So, so we know exactly what was going on in history at this time. It's a very specific uh, uh, piece of time that, that we can know things about. So quick, quick Bible history review to, to get up to this point. Israel had three kings before Israel split into a divided kingdom. So the, the, the kings of Israel, Saul, David, and Solomon, ruled over Israel as a whole. But of course, after Solomon died, the kingdom split in two. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel. The southern kingdom became known as Judah. And uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam became the first king of Judah. Jeroboam the son of Nebat became the king of the northern kingdom. That's a different Jeroboam than we read about today. That was Jeroboam the first. The Jeroboam we write about was Jeroboam II. He was the 13th king of that that northern kingdom, and he ruled from 786 B.C. to 746 B.C. So the reason this is important is this. After Solomon, when Israel was split into two kingdoms, here's what the map looked like. The northern kingdom became Israel, the southern Judah. You can see about how much territory was involved there. When this split happened, Israel was hemmed in on the south by Philistia, right on the Mediterranean Sea, Judah in the middle, and Moab there to the east of the Dead Sea. To the north was Syria, the perpetual enemy, headquarters of Damascus. And they were always pressing down on Israel, so much so that during the days of Jeroboam II's grandfather and father, here's what the map looked like. Syria had pressed down so hard on Israel that Israel was this little postage stamp of a nation with Syria having overtaken probably three-quarters of their territory. So times were hard. It was was really tough during the days of Jeroboam's grandfather and, and father. But about 10 years before Jeroboam II became king, Assyria, capital of Nineveh, which is in northern Iraq, was a power at that time. They came down and conquered Syria, took over everything that Syria had formerly possessed. Then Assyria went into a time of decline, which left that territory north of Israel pretty wide open and unprotected. So when Jeroboam II became king, he launched a plan to get their land back. And he was successful, so successful that this is what it looked like after many years of his reign, the kingdom was actually a little bit larger than it was during Solomon's time. They had gained ground. They got all their old land back and gained ground. The point is this, during Jeroboam II's reign, it was boom time economically. I mean, it was was a 40-year bull market like nobody had ever seen before. Massive expansion, Massive opportunity. They got all their old land back plus more. Here's what one historian wrote. By this expansion, Jeroboam ushered in a period of materialistic prosperity such as Israel had never known before. Wealth accumulated. Leisure became possible. Most people said that God was evidently blessing the nation. Indeed, they had a state religion to say this formally. The state religion was very popular, at least with the wealthy classes and as is the case in so many economic booms, the rich became richer and the poor became poorer, and in this case, the rich completely lost touch with reality. Instead of you know, living by that summary of the law, love God and love people, instead of loving people and using things, they got it all flipped around and they loved things and used people to increase their wealth and get more things. Now God saw all of this, and He sent Amos to tell the truth. Now, now that's the backstory, that economic boom time. you have to have that in your mind to consider the message of Amos. Now, Amos himself is an important part of the message as well. Who was this guy? I mean, he came out of nowhere. He was not a trained religious professional. He was a shepherd and a fruit farmer. Remember the first verse of the book, the words of Amos, one of the shepherds of Tekoa. And then there was more about him from the verses in chapter seven. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd, and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Amos was from Tekoa. Tekoa is this little village about, about uh uh, 11 miles outside of Bethlehem, and it's, it's from Bethlehem, it's toward the Dead Sea. So it's in this in-between kind of place. It's, like, it's kind of a, a good-for-nothing landscape. It's dry, the, the good agricultural land is, is back the other way, the Dead Sea is this way. It's the kind of place anybody would want to leave if they could. There was essentially no economy. And Tekoa was in Judah, not Israel. So when God calls Amos to leave, to go to Israel, he's calling him to go to a different country now, often considered hostile territory. Amos was from Tekoa. Amos was a tender of sheep, a shepherd. He he knew animals. This was his life, the daily rhythm of tending and caring for the flock and all that goes into that. It's really hard work. This was his life. And, and also evidently to make ends meet, Amos did some fruit farming. He was a caretaker of sycamore fig trees, he said. Now sycamore fig trees produced a poor kind of fruit that was eaten by only the very poorest people. So when you put all this together, we're, we're starting to get a picture of this guy. And everything we have on Amos describes him as a poor hardworking shepherd, and fruit farmer. He didn't have much by way of worldly resources. By worldly standards, he would have been considered one of the least of these, right? Not much money, not much power, no formal religious training, certainly, probably no formal training at all, and certainly no experience with this prophetic stuff. Quote, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I don't know where this came from. So God called this poor farmer from the rural south to go up north to a foreign land and to tell the wealthy boomtown power brokers what's up. That's the scene. And the amazing thing is, he went Can you imagine your way into that? A lot of this message is kind of backstory and set up for the remainder of the series, but even in getting our minds around the history of it and, and the prophet himself, there are lessons for us. And I think the first lesson is the one I just mentioned God called, and Amos went. I mean, one day he's going about his business, tending the flock, caring for fruit trees, and the next day he's packing his bags with what had to feel to him like a mission impossible. Like, there's no way this is going to work. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? Put yourself in his shoes. The list of things he didn't have for the task to which God was calling him was long. And the list of reasons he shouldn't go was longer. But God called And Amos went. Amos was listening to God. He heard the Lord speak to him, calling him to go. And Amos did something about it. He went. By worldly standards, he might not have been much, but Amos was a man of faith, spiritual perceptiveness, courage, and principle. So by heavenly standards, he's a person of great, great wealth. So what is the Lord saying to us today? What what's the Lord saying to you today? And and what are you going to do about it? Might not mean, you know, physically go from here to there. But how is God calling you to go? Is, is that finally sitting down to write that letter? Seeking reconciliation in a relationship that's been distant for some time? Is that, is that the step? Um, maybe it's much more simple. Maybe your neighbor's been on your mind and you haven't checked in for a while and today is the day to bake something and take it over. What what is God saying and what are we going to do about it? God called and Amos went. The second lesson, God uses unlikely spokespeople. I mean, this should not surprise us at all. It's a consistent theme all through scripture, right? Moses couldn't speak smoothly. He stuttered and was self-conscious. David was just a skinny teenager when he took on Goliath. Unwed Mary accepted a surprise and in the world's eyes, humiliating pregnancy with grace and we might even say joy. Peter, a rabbi development dropout, an impetuous fisherman, confesses Jesus as the Christ and so sets the foundation of the church. And then there's Amos. Huh? Who'd have thought? Amos but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God uses unlikely spokespeople. That that lesson carries with it a kind of sub-lesson or third lesson in our list of things today. God's people should be quick to listen even to difficult messages. Just just saying, you know, if we know that God uses unlikely spokespeople, it wouldn't make much sense to just talk over unlikely spokespeople. Right? We should listen to them. Amos delivered a difficult message that no one wanted, and he rather became the prophet no one wanted. But God sent him. Let's not forget that part the Lord called him to go and to deliver the very message he delivered. We don't want to miss that. So we should be quick to listen even to difficult messages. The Bible speaks of this kind of posture. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. I love James, don't you? (laughs) Dear brothers and sisters, hey, get out your pen and paper and write this down. Take note of this everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's the relational posture of a Christ follower toward other people. You can have a strong position, but our faith also requires us to have a generous posture direct application in the racial justice and equity conversation so prevalent in our country right now. White Christians should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Not because we're white, but because we're Christians, because that's what Christians do. So three lessons, God called and Amos went. God uses unlikely spokespeople. And God's people should be quick to listen even to difficult messages. And and like every other day of our lives, the Lord is speaking today, right now. And our job as followers of Jesus is to listen actively and to to, to try to discern what God is saying to us and then to align our lives to what we hear. Or, or if you prefer more traditional reformed language, we are to be reformed and always reforming according to the Word of God. When we hear God speak and look at our lives, and see a gap between the two, we're the ones who need to change, right? So we adopt this spirit as we listen to the message of Amos, as we engage this this series. Amos brings a challenging message, and we should listen. We need to listen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me, would you? God, thank you for the message of Amos. Would you show us, God, throughout this series how this applies to us? How you'd have us respond? Speak to us, Lord. We're listening. Uh, Certainly, we want to be quick to listen to you. Sometimes that's hard, so we pray that you'd help us in that, God. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.